My name is Heidi and I love stories. Funny stories and sad stories and what on earth just happened stories. As it turns out, the Bible is full of them. And after two decades in Sunday school, plus a master's in English, I'm here to tell them to you. Get ready. This is Messy Scripture. After King Solomon dies, all of Israel gathers at Shechem to make his son Rehoboam king. Also Jeroboam, who had been anointed by a prophet of God to be the replacement king for the nation of Israel that hasn't formed yet, we'll get there, comes back from Egypt and also goes to this gathering at Shechem because the secession is clear, it's going to go to Rehoboam. Now, Israel asks Rehoboam if he will lighten the load that his father Solomon had put on the nation of Israel. Because all his building projects cost money. Solomon had forced laborers from the nation of Israel. He took heavy taxes. He was a great king and he ushered in the golden age, but it was not easy necessarily to be under Solomon's rule. And Rehoboam tells the nation to go away for three days. He'll give them an answer at that time. So they do. Then he asks the counselors who had served with his father, Solomon, what he should do. And they're like, obviously, you should tell the people that you will make things easier. If you can win their hearts today, you'll have them forever. It'll be great. He listens to their counsel and then goes to his buddies, all his friends who were like around his age. He asks them what he should say to the nation. And when the three days elapses, he delivers the message that his young friends gave him and not the smart message that his father's counselors had given him. And this is what Rehoboam tells him. My little pinky is thicker than my dad's thighs. It's a euphemism. He's making a dick joke. And he's like, you think my dad was a hard king? I'm a rock hard king. He drove you with whips. I'm going to send scorpions out among you. And the house of Israel was like, we're done. We're done. We don't need to deal with David's house. We're going to have our own king. The only ones who stayed with Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, the son of David, was the house of Judah and the house of Benjamin and the Levites that were in the area. So Judah has the city of Jerusalem. Jeroboam has all the other tribes, all 10, 11 of them, the half-tribe of Ephraim and the half-tribe of Manasseh, of course, being half-tribes. Yeah, it's a lot. Anyway, they have all of Israel and they make Jeroboam king. Rehoboam mounts up and is about to go to war and then a prophet comes and stops him and is like, nope. God divided the nation. Everybody go home. So everybody goes home. And now the nation of Israel that had successfully had three kings, that's it, has been divided. There is now Judah and Israel. Judah has two tribes plus the Levites that lived in the area. Israel has 10, 11 tribes plus the Levites that lived in the area. Judah has Jerusalem. And now we begin the reign of a long string of idiots, starting with Rehoboam and Jeroboam. First up, Jeroboam's like, well, I can't realistically have my people going down to Jerusalem to worship God, because if they do, the nation will be reunited, because everyone will remember how awesome Jerusalem is, and they'll be in Solomon's temple, and it'll be a real problem. Jeroboam then sets up two golden calves on two different hills. He sets one up in Bethel and one in Dan, both places that are not actually easier to get to, from all of Israel at least, than Jerusalem. And he tells them, like, you've gone to Jerusalem enough. Behold, this is your gods who brought you out of Egypt. And he starts appointing priests and setting up high places all over the nation of Israel. And he appoints priests who aren't Levites. Like, this is just a hot mess from beginning to end. Jeroboam is screwing up his kingship. 
He goes so far as to set up his own feast day that was not in the law at Bethel. He offers sacrifices to these golden calves. So it's not even just a political move. Jeroboam has bought into his own nasty theology. And very quickly, the nation of Israel is going to slide into the worship of the Ashtoreths and the Baals, who believe not only in cult prostitution, both male and female, but also in child sacrifice, burning of infants alive, all kinds of nasty things that God abhors. The good news is that God has not quite given up on Jeroboam because he kind of wants Jeroboam to do what David had done when Saul was king, to come in and restore the nation. So this man of God comes in and basically takes Jeroboam to town and is like, the altar is going to be torn down, the ashes are going to be poured on the ground, and you need to repent of this. Jeroboam orders his guards to seize the man of God. He reaches out his hand and his hand gets stuck. It, it can't be withdrawn. It's It's broken. And Jeroboam asks the man to pray before God to please fix his hand. And he does. And Jeroboam's like, I made a mistake. Come eat with me. Come drink with me. Like, I want to make things right. Because at this point, he's trying to charm the prophets that he can charm God. These kings, man, they have no idea what they're doing. However, the man of God's like, "Uh, I've received strict instructions not to eat or drink anything or to go back the way I came to Bethel. So he leaves by another route. He does, however, run into an old prophet who lives in Bethel. This prophet sends a message by his sons to invite the man of God over for dinner. And the guy's like, well, I received pretty strict instructions from God not to go back the way I came and not to eat anything and not to drink anything. And the guy's like, no, 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 no. I heard from an angel of the Lord. It's cool. This is a lie. He's making this up. As soon as the man of God starts eating, the prophet hears the word of the Lord and is like, because you've eaten food and you've broken your oath to God, you will not rest in the tomb of your fathers. And so the prophet the young one is like, oh, crap. So he settles up his donkey and heads out on his way and is attacked by a lion and killed immediately. The sons tell the old prophet what's happened and he's like, oh, criminy. God's like involved, involved. So he goes and sees the lion just sitting there. Donkey's fine. The donkey's no harm. The man of God has been killed by the lion, but not eaten by the lion. Like, lion's just chilling. And so the old prophet is struck with grief, and he takes the body of the young prophet and buries it in the family tomb, and then instructs his sons that when he dies, he's going to be buried with this man of God. This whole story is very weird, but it gives you a good sense of how God is still respected at this point in Israel, but they have already no idea how God wants to be treated or how to treat the word of God. Which is weird because it's not that hard to find out. The law is really clear on a lot of things. And in fact, the law is very, very clear on, for example, whether or not you should ignore the instructions of God. The answer, by the way, is don't ignore God's instructions. And at that point, Jeroboam's son, Abijah, falls sick. So Jeroboam asks his wife to go in disguise to Bethel to talk to the prophet. Because, like, you can't have the queen going and inquiring of a prophet just willy-nilly. That's going to cause some serious concern because you don't just inquire of a prophet. So she has to go in disguise. And she shows up and the prophet is like, Hi, Jeroboam's wife. Yeah, I know who you are and I've got some bad, bad news. Your son is going to die and your husband is the worst because he absolutely failed to live up to God's calling on his life and because he absolutely screwed everything over a hundred times over. Not a single male is going to survive from his household. If they die in the city, they're going to be eaten by dogs. If they die in the country, they're going to be eaten by birds. The exception is going to be your son Abijah because he's fine. God is happy with him 
moderately, so he's actually going to get a burial, but everybody else, forget about it. Just in case you're worried that what I'm saying is false, or in case you thought you could comfort yourself with that, here's your proof. The minute you step foot in your house, your son will die. Okay, have a great day, bye. So she goes back to Jerusalem, and as soon as she crosses the threshold, the son dies. All of Israel mourns him because he's great, and they like him, and Jeroboam's family is going to be out of the kingship it's gonna be nasty and uh yeah none of the males in his family are gonna live through this because god is furious he had told jeroboam exactly how to be a king that would please him jeroboam didn't do it and now we have the first of many line transfers in israel because god will reset the kingship immediately if things go wrong meanwhile back in judah rehoboam's kingship is going real south He's in his 40s when he takes the throne, but he's acting like he's a spoiled brat in his early 20s. To make a long story short, Judah does everything that Israel's doing, only they have no good reason because they have the temple. But nope, they're making Asherah poles and all kinds of nasty stuff under every single green tree in every high place, and they're having male cult prostitutes in the whole nine yards. This is a mess. It's not good. And eventually... The king of Egypt comes and takes a bunch of stuff from the temple. In fact, he takes everything, including the gold shields that Solomon had made and a ton of the temple treasure. And so Rehoboam had to replace the beautiful gold shields with bronze shields. One of the things that that indicates is that it's gone from being a decorative display of wealth and display of God's favor to an actual war shield. Because now the guards carry these shields in and out of the guard room. It's a hot mess. The house of Israel is already going to be replaced. And while David's line is not going to be replaced in Judah, doesn't mean David's line's gonna do better. We're about to enter the long string of idiots. Stay tuned. <laughs>